Hey, how's it going? <laughs> oh, it's so good for me to be here and see your faces. We, uh, we go to the third service, so I don't get to sit in here very often. And for those of you I don't know um, that have come in the last three years, I stepped down three years ago from a role on staff here, organizational leader and teaching pastor, um, a role, one of the roles I was in over a period of 17 years. So it's, it's great for me to be back this morning. And if I can say this, because I was thinking about this week, uh, just how grateful I am for, for this church. You know, I've made the transition from on staff, which is a very different thing than being a member of the body, be, sitting where you are. And, um, and I was thinking about this week, how grateful I am to, to sit under the leadership here. You know, I've had the opportunity over all these years to, to meet other church leaders and to be in other churches and that sort of thing. And, and I, I'm just gonna say this, because it's, it's true from my own experience. Um, what we have here in terms of leadership, it's just rare. It really is. It, it, the authenticity is rare. There's a unique combination of authenticity, genuine care for the body, certainly a passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ through his word. And that happens with Lloyd and Rob. It happens with our worship leaders up here. It, it happens with our pastors, some of you that, some, many of whom that you, you know. And, and I just want to say, you know, there, there, this is true. There, there's no perfect church, certainly. But this is a good one. It's a really good one, and it's a privilege for me. Uh, uh, there's nowhere I'd rather be. There really isn't. So I'm glad to be here this morning. I, um, I want you to know that we're picking up back in Psalms. In fact, this is the bookend. This is the conclusion to our Psalms for the Whole Heart summer series. Uh, Rob started eight weeks ago in, in week one, and he said, you know, Psalms are songs that the ancient Israelites sung and praised to the Lord, but they are actually originally prayers, and so they prayed them of course, as, as well. And one of the things that Rob said the first week that I think is really true about the Psalms, it's, it's true in my life, it's certainly true in my life, but Psalms, he said, are prayers that we don't know how to pray. I think that's right. I really do. And, and it's especially true in Psalm 86, which is where we're gonna be in, uh, this morning, a, a, a Psalm of David, the prayer of David, and uh, here's what's funny about Psalm 86. I, uh, Lloyd asked me about in this, back in the spring, hey, what Psalm do you wanna teach this summer? And so I flipped through the Psalms and looked around and I said, hey, I'll teach Psalm 86. And he said, great. And, and so um, uh, I, when I was looking at it, I thought, man, this is a great Psalm. I, I haven't spent much time in this Psalm. I'm excited about it. And um, I really like it. And so well, th what come to find out, there's a reason that I really like this Psalm. And the reason is this, uh, three years ago, uh, the last message I gave while I was on staff here at Fellowship was Psalm 86. <laughs> I didn't remember. I, I, I just, yeah, I'm sure you remembered how great that message was because I didn't even remember it. And I gave it three times. Um, so, uh, so Psalm 86, and I'm like, oh gosh, now what do I do? And, um, and so I thought, well, I just, I'll look at it. I'll start studying it. I won't look at the other message. And, and um um, actually, you know, maybe I will. And so let me just say this, my prep this week has been really easy. That's not true, actually. I, I have looked at it differently. Um, and I'm excited to deliver it in a new way. You know, I, I'm gonna teach it differently today because I, I'm different three years later. You know, it's the same truth. It's not like what I taught was wrong, I don't think, but it, it's I'm different today. And so I view it different, same truth through a little different lens. And I'm gonna teach it differently today because you know what? We can never mine all the rich depth that God gives us in the Psalms. We could never do it. We could teach, it might get boring maybe, but we could teach Psalm 86 every week and not get to all that God has for us in it. And so I, I think it'll be good for me. I think it'll be good for you, for me to teach it in this way uh, today. And here's what we're gonna find in it. 
we're going to find that David's prayer has the power to take a divided heart and make it whole. That's what we're going to find. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, you know this at Fellowship. We talk a lot about what it means to, to find wholehearted life in Christ and talk about the heart. We've said this, the, the definition of the heart in scripture is not maybe what we would think initially. It's, it's not the organ that's beating in our chest. It's the central control system of the body. It's all of our lives. The heart is all of us. It's the thoughts and the emotions and the desires and the choices that we make. That's our heart according to scripture. And of course, that's the way we were designed. We were designed with a whole heart originally, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And of course, when humanity fell into sin, that heart was divided. It was disintegrated. It was disconnected. And the, re the result of that disconnected heart was this, it, it, it was brokenness in our lives, brokenness in our relationship with God, certainly, Brokes brokenness in our relationship with one another, and brokenness even within ourselves. You can't fully live with a divided heart. And it's God's greatest desire to take those broken pieces and make us whole again. And what I'm suggesting this morning is that this kind of prayer David prays, has the power to stitch together these broken pieces and make us whole. It has the power to do something that we could not do on our own. And it's a power that comes from God's greatest desire for those who choose to follow him. In my family, I've got this box up here, in my family, quilts are a big deal. I've got one. I had my mom send it to me this week. This is um, my mom's lineage, kind of generation to generation in my mom's family. And uh, this is one that my great grandmother made for my mom on her wedding day. She gave it to her on her wedding day. It's, um, it's old, almost 50 years old. My parents will, have, will celebrate their 50th anniversary next year. So it's almost 50 years old. It's worn. It's faded by the sun. It was certainly created with a great deal of love. And, and this is a patchwork quilt. So you'll see here, there's little circle pieces of fabric, um, a colored piece of fabric that's sewn on white. And all these individual patches were sewn together first. They were sewn together individually first. It's kind of interesting. This is the Star of David. My great-grandmother isn't uh, Jewish, but we're reading a psalm by David today. I just realized that after the first service. But this, this patch was all put together in layers first, and then all those patches were laid out, and they were woven together to make this quilt. And this quilt, of course, is something different altogether than it is in separate pieces, right? The small little star, small little circle of this quilt, it, it wouldn't provide much to us. It wouldn't cover us, certainly. It wouldn't provide warmth or comfort, but all together, when they're placed all together, when they're woven together, certainly everything changes about the quilt. When all things are pieced together, when it relates to our hearts, as God desires, we see him working in our lives to stitch together these four corners. And he does that through personal interaction with him. He does it through prayer, through a prayer like David writes here. You know, we talk about the power of prayer and prayer is certainly powerful for a lot of things, more than, than uniting our hearts uh, for sure. But when we talk about the power of prayer, like, hey, you know what, let's pray about this. 
There's power in prayer. You know, when we do that, typically we're talking about our circumstances. Let's pray that this dynamic and this relationship will change or let's pray that the pain will go away or let's pray for this big decision that we have coming up. But all good things and the power of prayer certainly has enough. It has power to change those circumstances. But this kind of prayer that David's teaching today, it's different. This Psalm demonstrates the power of prayer not to change what's going on around us, not to answer a longing or a desire or something that we would like to see happen, it is to transform us, to change who we are in Christ. That's the power that we find here. This is all centered back on God's power to change our own hearts in whatever we might be facing. Does that make sense? So if we find the joy and the peace and the hope that only comes when we are one in him. So take out your Bible. I want you to look at Psalm 86. Psalm 86, if you haven't already turned there, we're gonna read these 17 verses. Before I do, let me set a little bit of context here. David is writing in the midst of uh, an enemy, um, vile men who are seeking his life. Uh, they're men that don't fear God. Uh, they're men that are standing against. They're men that are literally chasing him down. We, we actually, in this psalm, we don't know who they are. Many psalms we do. In this one, we don't. We don't know who they are or why they're after him. What we do know is that David is suffering under the weight of this very heavy burden. And he's crying out to God for deliverance. Now, as I read the text, I want you to listen to it through this grid. Put, you, uh, put yourself in the shoes of David and, and I want you to think about it this way. What, what's David thinking about? What's David feeling? What is David asking for? What does he want from God? And what are the choices that David chooses to make? Okay, just think about it through that grid. That won't all come together perfectly, but just as you notice something that I read, think about where that might go on the board over there. Here's, here's Psalm 86, verse one. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my voice. To you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. 
because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Now, this is not a passage, actually, that needs a whole lot of explanation. What David says here, he says things that are really not hard to understand. No, actually, the key to understanding this prayer is why David prayed the way he prayed. What is it that changed him and how will it change us? And I'm saying this morning that I think David prayed this prayer because he was desperate to find the wholehearted life he desperately longed for. That's why he prayed this way. Now, four observations from the text. Here's the first, and these four will kind of be my outline for the prayer. We'll go through them one by one. Here's the first. Prayer clarifies our thoughts. When we pray, our thinking gets more clear. We'll see that here. I might say it this way. The more we pray, the easier it becomes to name what's true what's true about God and what's true about my relationship with him. It's not unlike processing something that's going on in your life with a trusted friend. So you come and you vent, you get it all on the table and they listen. And as you go through it, it's like the more you talk about it, in some ways, the clearer it becomes. Like I, I see more and more what's true about the situation. It's like verbal processing, right? I see more and more what's true about what's going on and what's true about me in this particular situation. So David is an expert at this. When he names, he begins by naming what's true about God. And we've said this in here before, but our hearts cannot be made whole unless we begin with the truth of who God is. That's the starting point. And of course, God makes himself known to us through his word, and we are transformed when we replace the lies we believe with the truth he reveals, okay? So we start with God. What's true about God? And prayer is one of the places we sort that out. Listen to what David says about God. Verse five, you are good and forgiving. Verse eight, there's none like you. There are no works like yours. Verse nine, you have made all the nations and all will worship you. Verse 10, you are great. You do wondrous things. You alone are the only one true God. Verse 13, you have delivered me from death. Verse 15, you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithful. Verse 17, you are my help and my comfort. We could go back through, you listen, you answer, you preserve, you save, you give grace, you bring joy, you are true, you are strong, you show favor, you are sovereign, you are patient, you are alive, you are able. When I was going through the text this week, and I probably went through it 25 times, I came up with more than 60 things that David either says directly or implies about the character of God. David knows his God. And he starts by naming what's true. And of course, David doesn't shy away from the truth about himself either. Look at verse one. I am poor and needy, lost without you. Verse two, I'm faithful, I trust you. I am dependent, verse three, I cry out to you. I call upon you. Verse seven, I'm troubled. Verse 12, I'm grateful. Verse 14, I'm afflicted. Verse 16, I'm weak. Verse 17, only you, God, can help and comfort me. I've shared this before. Um, it's been more than three years, so I can't believe I remember sharing it. 
But um, what I do when I sit down with my journal, when I begin my time with the Lord, is I, I take one side of the page and the other side, kind of open the journal up. And on this side of the page, I, I just write down what's true about me in that moment. I'm thinking this, I'm feeling this, I'm wondering this. I, I just, whatever it is that's on my mind right in that moment. I don't take a real long time. I don't try to sort all, out all my life. I just write down what's true about me right then. And then I flip, flip over, I don't flip over, but look over to the other side. And what I do on the other side is I just write down some things that are true about God. It's not an exhaustive list. It's just whatever comes to mind in that moment. And that's where I begin. I begin just with the truth about me and the truth about God. And then I read and then I pray. And there's just a way that the spirit of God begins to tie those things together. You know, if if that sounds uh, difficult in some ways, like what would I say? What would I say about God? You know, I do this often as well. Sometimes I get stuck on, I don't know what to write down right now. So I'll just open to a Psalm, a Psalm of David, and I'll just let David's prayers be my prayer. That's a beautiful way to pray. And it's a way that teaches us, even as it does this morning, okay? So prayer, it clarifies our thoughts. Second, prayer cultivates our emotions. It mines out all that we're feeling. That happens in the context of prayer. David's prayer is not just an engagement of the mind. It takes us below the line. And it's not hard to hear the emotion in David's voice. In fact, I'm just gonna ask you this right now. And I want you just to answer, a couple of you just just yell it out. What is it, based on what you know so far, which isn't a ton, but what is it that, what are some of the things that David's feeling? I'll go through some of the others, but what what do you imagine David's feeling as he's writing this word? Somebody say something. Fear, Fear, for sure. What else? Anxiety, Anxiety, you bet. What else? Sadness, Sadness, absolutely. Others? Love. Love, he is. Love toward his God. I, I, I want you to know this. You know, oftentimes when I'm not quite sure what's going on in a text and I'm thinking about what, what's the author really feeling, saying, what does he want us to know? I, I look at the verbs. It's a great way to see emotion because there's action in verbs, right? So that's a great way to see emotion. So look back at it with me. You named several of these, but verse one and two, what, what are the verbs? Incline your ear, answer me, preserve my life, save me. Do you hear the desperation? Of course we do. Verse three and four, be gracious to me. To you I cry all day, gladden my soul. You don't pray for gladness unless you're what? She said it, sad, he's sad. Verses six and seven, give ear to my prayer, listen to my plea. In the day of trouble, I call on you. That's distress, he's stressed. Verses eight eight through 10, here's some love. It's also hope. There's hope in his voice. All nations, even my enemies, shall one day worship and glorify you. I know that's happening. I am hoping in that, even with what I'm facing right now. We see fear in verse 11. You said it, gratitude in verse 12. Anxiety was from over here in verse 14. Peace in verse 17. David puts it all on the table. And he shows how critical emotions are to a wholehearted life. You cannot connect with God fully unless you connect with him at an emotional level. Why? Because he's an emotional being too. You feel and he feels. And there's a strand in this, there's a phrase in this text that's repeated twice that demonstrate 
his feeling toward David. There are other things that he feels toward David. We, we can even mine them out of here, but there's one that's very clear. He talks about his abounding steadfast love, both verses five and 15. You see, it's that love that's woven into David's prayer. And it's woven in in a way that connects our hearts to his. That's God's feeling toward us. And it matters. So we feel, we express that, and God feels toward us and we receive that, we embrace that as truth. So prayer clarifies our thoughts, it cultivates our emotions. And third, prayer refines our desires. It shapes our longings. What does David want? What does he long for? It's pretty clear here. You see it in the text. He wants to be heard. Listen to me, O God, verses one and verse six. He wants an answer. Verse one and verse seven, he wants protection. Lord, would you protect me? Verse two and verse 16, he asked God to give grace, to be gracious and merciful to him. Verse three and verse 16 as well. He asked for joy. Would you gladden my heart? Verse four, I could go on. Strength, help, comfort, but I want us to take a minute and look at verse eight. Look at verses eight through 10. As David's desires begin to grow in intensity, okay, over the first part of the Psalm, it's almost like his momentum is building. And just when he gets to a fever pitch with all that he desires from God, he takes a breath in verse eight. It's interesting. He pauses from all that to reflect on the goodness of God. Here's what he says, verse eight. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord. David's not saying there that there are other gods. He's just saying that there are a lot of gods and idols that people worship around here, but you are the only one true God. There's none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works, anything created like yours. All the nations have made, you have made shall come and worship before you and shall glorify your name for your great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And it's at this point when he pauses to reflect on the character of God, the goodness of God, that we then begin to hear a longing in David for something different. His desires begin to align more and more with God's desires for him. Look at the first part of verse 11, coming right out of that. Here's what he says. This is my desire. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Would you protect me? Would you comfort me? Would you help me? Would you remove my enemies? Would you save me? Would you deliver me? Pause. Lord, would you teach me your way that I may walk in your truth? Hebrew word for way, it means path, the path that God leads you on. Uh, his direction in your life. You sometimes hear, what is God's will for me? It's, it's his guidance for us. That's what David prays for. What, would your way be my way. And this doesn't happen for us, but in the mind of the ancient Hebrew who would listen to this prayer or would sing this song, when they would hear this phrase, the way of the Lord, their minds would immediately go back to their ancestors. And they would go back to the ancestors in captivity and God decided, I will now take you out of captivity and show you the way to the promised land. That's where their minds would go. 
the way out of captivity, the way across the Red Sea, the way through the wilderness and into the promised land, of course, Israel. That's what they would think. And David's desires began to shift. He's concerned with deliverance from his enemies, yes, but now he wants to walk in the way of the Lord, even if that means my enemies chasing. Even if that means long, dry spells in the wilderness. You see, it's easy for us to desire God's answer to our prayer without obedience to his way. It's easy for us to ask and it's easy for us to stay there. It's easy for us to forget that we too respond to his love for us with obedience to his way. It's easy for us to come to him and ask for help in a time of need and forget to align ourselves in obedience to his will, isn't it? It's easy for us to desire a change in our circumstances without the desire to become more like him in the process. David knows his heart is prone to wander. And so is ours. And prayer is the thing that helps to shape those desires, aligning them with God's will for us and allowing God to stitch together another piece of our broken heart. I said there were four things. Prayer clarifies our thoughts, cultivates our emotions, refines our desires, and prayer activates our choices. You see, when we meditate on truth, the truth about who God is, the truth about our relationship with him, when we think about the truth and we meditate on it, and then we talk to God. We, you know, prayer is just a dialogue with God. It's a literal conversation with God. Such a personal God, it's pretty unbelievable. But then when we share our emotions with him and we open ourselves to receive his emotions back toward us, we take what's true about him, what's true about us. We go a bit deeper below the line and we share what we're feeling in that and we realize what's true about God in that. Then we take those feelings and we move to desires. We share what God wants. When we share what we want with God and we understand, we open ourselves to the desires that he wants or that he has for us. When these things happen and they keep happening, then the result is we make different choices. We make choices that are aligned with his will. We make choices that are on the path, that are in the way of the Lord. As God speaks to us, we will hear and act. We live what we believe through tangible steps of faith. We see this in David's prayer. It's following his desires to know the way of the Lord. Look at first part of verse 12. Here's what he says, choice. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God. That's faith in action. One thing I do, I'll do regardless of my circumstances and regardless of what the future holds is that I will give you thanks in all things. What people will know about me is my gratitude toward my God. And who among us doesn't want to be around someone who's grateful? You know, to me, gratefulness just implies humility. Hard to be grateful for someone, God, for someone else, for something and be prideful at the same time, isn't it? It's the reason that a grateful person is attractive to us. It's a joy to be around them. We want some of that to rub off on us, right? I do. 
In fact, this is one of the deepest desires in my life right now. It's this, it's that God will transform how quickly I go to cynical or judgmental or even condescending. It's gross, and I do that. But when I am filled with gratitude, there's no room for all that other. It can't exist. And my choices are made different. David doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 12. He says, I will give thanks. I will give thanks to you and I will glorify your name forever. Forever. I will worship you and I won't stop worshiping you. Choice. I will speak of your name. Choice. I will honor you with my words. I will not wait passively for spiritual maturity to come. I will praise you right now. That's active faith. Those are choices of a whole heart. A heart that has been woven together in prayer. Now, the most important thing about David's prayer is something that we have yet to discuss. Everything in David's prayer points to these two phrases. And these two phrases, they reveal David's ultimate purpose in his prayer. And they reveal God's ultimate answer to his prayer. And they're found back again in verses 11 and 12. I know we've been there, but we haven't seen this yet. Look at verses 11 and 12 one more time. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Here it is, first phrase. Unite my heart to fear your name. Verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my, second phrase, whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Derek Kinder, one of my favorite theologians, he writes, writes about Psalms, and he's, that may be his best thing, is the book of Psalms, but he, uh, Psalms. But he says this, he says, that phrase, unite my, my heart to fear your name, in verse 11, he says, that's the climax of the prayer. And it is, that's the climax of the prayer. And here's why it is. Because it confesses in a single phrase the disintegrated state of man, the broken heart, the divided heart. And in my words, the need to be made whole. NIV translation says this, give me an undivided heart. The message, a paraphrase of the Bible by Eugene Peterson says this, put me together, then undivided, I will, I can worship you. David is saying, God, would you please take all the pieces of my life, they're disintegrated and disoriented and do me no good on their own and stitch them together. Weave them together into a new creation. A wholeness in me that reflects my unity with you. So would you give me a renewed mind? Would you give me emotionally healthy relationships with you, with others, even in me? Would you Grant me the desires of my heart, a satisfied soul. Every desire points to one thing. It's the longing in us to be satisfied. To be satisfied so we do this and this, and if I have this and I have that, but it never fully satisfied, not apart from prayer, in the name of Jesus, to the living God. Would you satisfy my soul and would you allow me to follow with active steps of faith? Will you take my broken heart and put it back together?
And how does God do that? How does God heal a broken heart? Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The remedy for our sin, his righteousness given in its place. Why? That we might have new life, wholeness, perfection, completion in him. You see, the power in prayer is that it always, always points to Jesus. Always. Uh, Maybe this sounds cliche to you or simple-minded, but I don't think we talk about it enough. It's the reason we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God, would you, might you, could you, in Jesus' name. It's the reason we do and we always will. Regardless of what the culture might say that, or might say that we can and cannot say about God. I'm going to keep praying in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you do too. The power of prayer is found in the name of Jesus and his is the life that we all deeply long for. It's the only life that truly satisfies our soul. And so we pray, Lord, our Father in heaven, would you stitch our hearts back together? Would you make them new? Would you recreate them in the way that you intended us to be as sons and daughters of you by the power of the cross In Jesus' name we pray, amen.